0: Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. Welcome back to the podcast that honors and acknowledges Black women performers and discusses topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I am here today with one of my very, very good friends who I have deemed her to be a Rubik's Cube in the performing world, Charday R. Davis. Hey, Charday.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Greetings. <laughs>
0: So it, this is just an inside joke for us, but because of so many of the things that Chardé has told me that she ha- knows how to do, and the different performing arts that she has dabbled in, I've deemed her as the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> That's just how multifaceted she is, and 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 it's just it's just so cool being friends with with somebody like you to have that many talents, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before we even get any further in into this, just tell our listeners what art forms you're actually experienced in.
1: Okay, I am an actor. I am also a singer and musician, and then also a dancer.
0: And that's it? Just that? I swear that it was like so much, so many other things. But
1: <laughs> like what what else? Oh, you mean like martial arts? Martial arts, directing, stage managing. I've done all of those as well too. So Rubik's Cube, <laughs> Rubik's Cube. That's
0: all you are. <laughs> okay so
1: i do like that idea.
0: yeah th- th- you're just gonna go buy a rubik's cube from now on <laughs> So as a multifaceted performer, describe your style of performing.
1: My style of performing, I would have to say, do you want it as per performing art or just in general? However you want to describe it. I would say as as an overall, I am very analytical when it comes to performing sometimes specifically in theater when I'm acting as a dancer I think I my style is my my style in dancing is, is kind of all over the place because I've trained in so many different styles so I've done everything from traditional hula to uh, hip-hop to ballet and then in music um, I have training in vocal jazz and classical piano so I, my performing style is kind of all over the place.
0: <laughs> so, what was it that created this drive, this passion that you have to take on so many different art forms?
1: Well, I mean, as as a child, um, there's there's a story that my mom used to tell, uh, is that when she was when I was a baby, she would always put uh, headphones on her stomach, and um, that's when I would start moving right away. Always when she had when she played music. So, I guess it started before I was even actually even born. <laughs> but um, as a child having my mom was also a musician and she was also very big into theater. She did both of those in high school. So she exposed me a lot to the performing arts as a child. Um, And that exposure, I I launched right into it right away when when I was young. I was going to theater shows at a very young age. And then shortly after, because I grew up in the church, my mom put me in every like choir and she had a lot of friends who were in the business as well. So as a child, I, I did some opera lessons from um, one of her friends that had did opera all over the world. I grew up in a church that are, had a very big performing arts community. Our choreographer was someone who trained with ABT, which is American Ballet Theater. So I was just constantly exposed to performing everywhere I was.
0: What kind of instruments did your mother used to play? Um, my mom played the bass and the drums. Yeah. Did, she, did she ever get get the chance to teach? you how to play the drums or the bass? No, she didn't actually. No.
1: um, I think between graduating from high school and having me somewhere, she lost the passion for doing those types of things. And I guess her way of sharing that with me was to expose me to others that were either training or performing in those art forms.
0: So do you have like a preferred uh, art form or like, do you have a least favorite that keeps you entertained or a favorite that you just always have to go to?
1: No, uh, I, I love all of them. I can't see myself not acting or dancing or playing the piano or anything like
0: that. So when you do perform, what does your audience look like? Uh, is there like a difference in energy or reactions between particular audiences, between a Black audience or a white audience, men, women?
1: I would have to say in the, uh, pointing more specifically to the dance world, here in Michigan, I feel that it, there's it, it's heavily female. And usually the female audience members are, they at least appear to be somewhat familiar with Going to a dance show and what all that entails, but usually if you see a male in the audience, not always, but they are usually kind of fascinated about how everything's run and how everything is like displayed. And usually, if we have like a a performer audience like meet and greets at the end, um, they're usually like, "Oh, well, I've never been to a dance show before. I I I didn't know really what to expect, and that they're really kind of impressed and kind of blown away by the art form. So that that's always really interesting. For the theater world, I feel it's usually pretty mixed between male and female. Going back to the dance, I, I I don't think in Michigan there's a big person of color audience that comes to see dance shows, which I would obviously like to see uh, that change. But I I think across the other two forms, it's pretty open as to what types of races you see at performances.
0: So you see like a, uh, a nice mixture of black and white audiences um, at class. Uh, like the instrumental performances and in, in the theater performances.
1: Yes, especially in the music performances. The theater is the one that's kind of in the middle, depends on what type of show that I'm in. If it tends to be a newer playwright or a playwright that is a person of color, you typically tend to see more people of color show up for those types of performances as compared to maybe older works uh, like a Moliere or, or Shakespeare.
0: Yeah. Um. So what kind of uh, short-term or long-term goals do you have in mind for yourself?
1: You know, with with, with everything that's happening
0: in the world, I've
1: been thinking a lot about this the last few months.
0: Yeah, we've had like several conversations (laughs) about this. (laughs)
1: You know, like, as a kid, my, my goal was always to make it to Broadway, especially since, you know, I act, I sing and dance. So that logically makes sense. But, but recently, and probably like the last three to five years, I've really wanted to do more film. And I, when I went to college, I do have film training. So um, it's something I've never actually really utilized ever in my career. Uh, So I would definitely like to do more film with the whole thing regarding Broadway. That's still a goal of mine, but I kind of want to branch out and do like the, the out there things. So I know we've been talking and I I know one of the places that's come up is maybe going overseas to um, perform, going to Australia or like South Korea, someplace like that. So really I'm just trying to fine tune and still learning and uh, adapting uh, my styles and just trying to move on to the next phase in my career.
0: So what, between the three that, that you, the three uh, performing arts that you do, which one do you think that you would end up leaning more towards if you decide on a place where to live? Like, is there a specific destination for each one that would excel you the most in? here here in Michigan where
1: where where we're at right now and where we mostly perform at I find myself going through seasons of which one I'm more focused on um, at, at a time so um, last last year beginning of last year and um, end of 2018 and most of 2019 I felt like all I was doing was theater I was acting 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 there wasn't too much dancing that I was doing and there wasn't too much music that I was doing then towards the end of 2018 20- 2019, I felt like there were dance performance was happening like every other week, and and then um, before everything uh, started to close down, there was lots of dance performances that were supposed to happen for 2020. I feel like of the places I mentioned, I feel like I wouldn't have to per se go through these seasons of having to focus on just music or just dance or anything like that. It it's a pretty expansive landscape that you could. There's enough work to be doing all three at the same time or projects that would entail doing all three at the same time.
0: So do you have any milestones that you would like to reach or a milestone that you've already reached in your career?
1: (sighs) Hmm. That's a loaded question. (laughs) I mean, obviously... When I was younger, it was like, yeah, I want that Oscar and the Grammy. And, and although, I mean, all those are great. And I'm if I get to achieve all those, I, I will obviously very, be very happy with that. But I just want to, a milestone for me right now is just to be comfortable in the work that I'm doing and to produce it and get it out there so that my message can be heard, that I can share a little bit of me with the world. And communicate with others. That's, I think that's the biggest milestone for me right now.
0: That's, a, that's definitely a good one. I'm, I'm right. I'm honestly right there with you with the Oscar and the Grammy, you know, give me the EGOT. Just give me the EGOT right now. You yeah. Know? Yeah. We, we talked <laughs> about that. Yeah. We de- we definitely <laughs> want the EGOT. We want the EGOT for sure. And, um, and then we
1: got to get the other one. We have the Peabody in there too. So.
0: Right. So we got to, we, 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 we're going to end up having to be writers at some point so that we can get a Pulitzer. <laughs> yes.
1: Just add them all in there. Put them all in the basket. We'll take it
0: with us. Right. Put them all in there. (laughs) Now, Now, the art world in general is dominated by white people particularly white people who consciously or unconsciously don't make room for artists of color mm-hmm. tell me what it's like as a black woman that's as multifaceted as you are what that's like in the art world
1: <laughs> it's a um, it's a constant reminder that there's still a lot of work to be done <laughs> that's that's the the sentence that came to mind it's a constant reminder that there is still work to be done and that we have to we have to we have to keep doing this. We don't we don't get to give up. There are a lot of very talented people that are coming after us and that will come after us and we will be we're, we're responsible for making that atmosphere a lot better for them
0: so and what in particular is it like being a black artist in acting what is it like being a black artist in dancing and you know like what in particular like what stereotypes have you faced
1: in acting so we were talking about this the other day um mm-hmm. in college it never occurred to me that my race could be an indicator for getting a role I mean outside of you know it saying and being noted that you know you're playing Harriet Tubman so that should be a black person uh, a black woman you know stuff like that but uh, it never occurred to me that some people would have a problem with me doing Shakespeare where uh, race isn't necessarily descriptive in the text so uh, that was something that popped off for me in college with some of the casting that was done my teachers were very open about you know casting who was right for the part or who was going to learn something from doing this part. And there was some backlash for them doing that because um, I got access, I had access to a lot of roles that typically would not be cast to um, a a Black person, let alone a Black female. So um, the first, actually the very first show I did in uh, college was The Female Odd Couple. I got cast as, I believe, I think her name is Renee in the show. Um, and she was kind of like the very kind of uptight, like the friend that wants everything done in a, a certain way. And uh, some people didn't like that.
0: The neurotic.
1: Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> And some people didn't like that I was cast in that part, and especially in a, a, a play that doesn't necessarily specifically say like this person should be of black descent, this one should be of white descent. That was that was already like a thing, and I and I was very confused by it. I think one of the more backlashy moments that happened was uh, I was cast in a lead role for uh, Time of Your Life, which if anyone's familiar, Patty Lapone played that has played that role so it's typically played I don't think I've ever seen it done you know played by a, a black female so I got that role and I remember our theater department kind of being turned on its side because here's this girl you know playing this part that Patty Lapone plays and you know I look nothing like Patty Lapone. so um, there's a lot of backlash over that and that's when I realized that not everyone is going to be as inclusive when it comes to casting and that that was already my 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 first experience with that. Moving into like the professional world, it's interesting when you show up for certain auditions, and you know, let's say it's a Shakespeare audition, and you walk in, and they're like, "Oh, well, no, that the the this audition is the next day," and you're like, "No, I'm I'm here to to audition for the Shakespeare play." You know, this this assumption that because I'm black that I may not know Shakespeare or want to audition for Shakespeare, and that is uh, also very prevalent in uh, the Dance world. Um, You walk into a big, usually in dance auditions, there are multiple uh, genres being auditioned for that day. So you might have musical theater going on in one room. You may have ballet in another room. You may have hip hop in one room. You may have urban dance in another room. And when you walk in and you sign in, and they're, you know, oh, oh, the hip hop dance audition is down the hall. And you're like, no, no, I'm here to audition for ballet. You know, so these assumptions that are still prevalent. <laughs> and, and you know and and it's it's a, a microaggression to automatically assume that because i'm black i'm there to audition for hip-hop or urban dance i think sometimes we envision the the racism as these very big you know exploited things but these microaggressions ag- are just as poisonous as these big you know exploited scenes that we see that are happening
0: yeah you know and it it's it really does It really does get hard because, Mm -hmm. and and I can't, I can't even imagine what it's like for you, especially with you being so, so multifaceted as you are, where you, you have to endure with this three times the amount of times that I do, because I'm just mostly concentrated in just theater, but, but it's already hard enough where you, where you constantly come across these daily reminders of how crappy people really can be. And especially when they see how talented you are, then it really comes out.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So explain a moment for me when you had the opportunity to work with a diverse group of people.
1: I feel like I've been fortunate enough that most of the projects I've done have been pretty diverse. So I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. But more specifically, like recently in the last few years, I just became a part of a company called CRLT Players. And it's a very, very, very diverse group of people, different races, different stages of schooling, people that have worked all over the country at Ivy League universities. I've it's. I've learned so much from being a part of this com- that company, and and one of the reasons is because it's so diverse on so many different levels.
0: What kind of work does a CTRL players do? Like, tell us what CTRL means. And what's the kind of work that they do? So
1: the acronym is Center for Research in Learning and Teaching. Um, So they mostly do applied theater. So we do a lot of work with, and it's based out of uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And we do a lot of work, not always focused in, but mostly focused in academia. So we do things like uh, sexual harassment, uh, first generation college student, gender, equality or inequalities that might be present, uh, racial inequalities that might be present in academia. Yeah, so a lot of hard-hitting topics.
0: (laughs) Has it been difficult to to really get into those plays with CTRL? Because you you were talking about some hard-hitting shows, like what makes them hard-hitting?
1: Um, they're hard hitting because of the subject matter, but they're also hard hitting because of the way we present the shows. So we do a lot of uh, the word just escaped me. We do a lot of facilitation. There we go. (laughs) That's what I was looking for. Uh, so we do, we do, we do these shows for college professors and graduate students that are now about to be teachers. So you have, especially since, you know, I'm 33, but I look like I'm 19. <laughs> so when you're in a room full performing for an audience, these tenure professor professors, and it, it can be, you know, it's two different worlds, you know, and the subject matters are, are, are very intense because we are talking. About sexual harassment, um, or you know, how first generation college students are kind of set up for failure entering the academic world. So it makes it hard to have these conversations and, and then to be an actor present for the facilitation and hearing the feedback from the audience and seeing how the audience views things or how they are reacting to what we've just displayed for them. Can be quite hard at times. So yeah, that's what makes it. You know, the subject matters in in itself are very hard. But being in this real world happening right in front of you, hearing what someone's saying about what you just did as as an actor can be can be trying at times.
0: That does sound like it's really hard. Have you come ever come across a play that was uh, taxing for you personally? Hmm. Um like something maybe that, something that you weren't prepared for or something that left you a little shook, more shook than you realized.
1: The one sketch we do with the first generation college students, that that one is always shocking to me <laughs> and usually not so much in a guttural way, but it's always interesting to hear like what some professors say and then, you know, and it, it makes all the work that we're doing that much more rewar- rewarding and worth it <laughs> in the end. So I remember one time in particular we had, it was one of our first showcases for it. Um, So they usually have like a preview show. And then like we have our first show that's kind of like filling out if we need to change anything in the facilitation. And the first generation show is there's quite a few of us and we all hold different perspectives in the show. And it was when all of us were up there and we were acting it. And one of the audience members who was a a professor decided to correct one of the actors on something he had said in the middle of the show. And and what she corrected him on was like that's that's why we're doing this show <laughs> for people like you and some other times. So there was a, at the end a talkback session and the actors we stay present for those. And there was a professor who he meant you could tell that his heart was in the right place, but chosen words that he picked to describe to, to describe first generation college students were problematic for. All of the actors, um, those that were black and those that were non black people of color and those that um, are white. We all had a problem with it. <laughs> because the way he was talking, it was presented that he assumed that all first generation college students were black students and that all of those black students were from underprivileged um, backgrounds.
0: Wow. So. And. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I said, and. W- and- for all of us, so I'm one of the newer players to the to the company. And so a lot of the other actors in the company have been there for years. And so we are all pretty good at reading the audience by now. And we could tell his heart was in the right place, but not realizing that he's saying those words and how they're put together and how it's coming out. It's like, that's part of the problem. You know, these, once again, these kind of microaggressions. You know, he's like, you know, and, and once... Um, our leaders that are in charge of the company are very good at they'll come, they'll come by after these kind of uh, talk back sections that are programmed into uh, the sketches. And they'll ask us like, did anything pop off to you that seemed off or that was, you know, was like, you know, red flag to you. And like, we all were like, "Uh, yeah, that, that, you know, assuming that all first generation college students are black or, and or underprivileged right there, you know? And so they are, they find ways and they construct, ways really quickly to kind of address those problems right then and there because like for me for example Technically, I'm a first generation college student by the definition of that. You know, my my father finished high school. He had no desire to go to college, so I don't don't have any experience from my father in the college realm. Um, and my mom, she had two associate degrees. So one of the definitions, there's two. There's many definitions of what first generation college students are, but the one that most people go by is that one or a parent or guardian finished a bachelor's degree. So I don't have that. So technically I'm a first generation college student. I'm certainly not from an underprivileged family. You know, my parents were working class adults, but you know, my family is by no means poor, but I just don't have the experience in the college realm that some other children might have if both their parents have bachelor's degrees or higher. And so we, so addressing those types of microaggressions in these kind of sessions is always really fascinating to see where so many different people's head spaces are. God, that's
0: fascinating. It is.
1: It's incredibly fascinating. Like just, it's, Like I said, during rehearsals, it's hard to like talk about, you know, sexual harassment and all these things, but when we see when we do the work and then we see these and we're sitting there and we're absorbing it not only as actors but as as real live human beings it's incredibly fascinating to see all these different perspectives from people of all races and you know like i said that was a white college professor but we had a black college professor that you know we had we're like nope red flag what 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 that what she's saying there is kind of no microaggression you know so it's incredibly fascinating
0: and you know that reminds me of the Black Actor Conference that I had on uh, June 19th. You know, it was, it, was, it was fascinating enough hearing from other Black actors the different issues that they've come across. But what was even more fascinating was how um, receptive our fellow white actors were to the issues that we've had and how they were, how some of them were compassionate and empath- uh, empathizing with us. And then just out, just to add on top of that, they, they clearly just did not know. Uh, some of the issues that were going on some of them just did not know how detrimental that these issues were that they didn't know that these issues even existed right one of the issues during the conference that I actually brought up that nobody else on the panel brought up was color-coded clothing in theater and, <laughs> yeah. and, me, oh and you, dear. me and here you here we go here we go <laughs> Me and you, we've had this conversation before about um a particular theater doing this and then not just not just color-coded clothing but stereotypical clothing as well um there was a theater this past past season that uh dressed their white actor up in stereotypical garb that that was related to this character of color and thank thankfully they didn't you know color face them but it was still just bad enough that they dress this person up in what's supposed to be some type of stereotypical ceremonial garb. But it's just like, it just like, it just does not occur to them at all Mm -hmm. that what you're doing is perpetuating a narrative that is constantly showing racism. Right. Right. You know, you
1: know, it's it's but that that's why that's why we're in the arts that's why we're in the arts to me Mm -hmm. like the the arts are a way that we communicate not only with each other but it's an an opportunity to walk in someone else's shoes and that's what and that's one of the things that people ask me why did you want to become an actor why did you want to become a dancer why did you want to become a musician because I want to walk in someone else's shoes you know we get to do that all the time as actors we're playing people that usually are not real people but sometimes we are playing historical figures you know Mm -hmm. and as a dancer a lot of the times I'm dancing to someone else's music and I might not be able to relate to everything they're saying like I was watching something on YouTube earlier from a a dance uh, program that I look at and they were saying one of the choreographers was saying that you know they were dancing to uh, a female's uh, music and he's like I can't understand and relate to everything she's saying in that song but I can garner her feelings from her tone of a voice or what she might be saying that I can relate to but I get to not only experience my feelings through her music but I also get to experience her feelings at the same time and that's to me what's so beautiful about doing art is that we not only get to explore ourselves but we get to explore other people and in doing that we get to see so many different perspectives
0: and you, and, and I agree with that like a thousand times infinity percent because it baffles me so much when I hear people say that art is not political. It is very much political art is art has always always and will forever be political statements it will always be that when when theater first was created it was to rally against the government in rome Mm -hmm. you know so it's like like for example when uh mike pence went to uh see hamilton and then the the entire cast of hamilton you know they didn't they didn't talk him down they didn't call him out his name or anything but they acknowledged him saying that we are here doing this show sir and we want to say thank you for coming to our show but in in reality that was kind of like shade like we know your ass is here know <laughs> <laughs> that you're here you're about to be exploited but there was such a huge backlash from it mm-hmm. just so many people particularly the republicans they were saying that you're supposed to be doing a play you're not supposed to be creating a political statement. First of all, let's make one thing very, very clear. They're doing a show about one of the founding fathers of the country.
1: Yeah, so there has about to be there has politics. to be a, some historical. Yeah, it has to be about
0: politics. <laughs> it's about <laughs> politics. So how can you say that it shouldn't be political? But second of all, they did nothing wrong. They did not call him out of his name. They did not ridicule him. They didn't belittle him. All they did was acknowledge him and he could not mm-hmm. take it yeah,
1: because they people some people can't handle when they 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 expect the worst reaction out of you because it justifies them doing what they're doing. And of course he, he expected to be called out and to be ridiculed. And we're like, no, we're doing our thing. You know, you probably know where we stand, but we're doing our thing and you know, we're we're glad you're here. Maybe you can, you can learn something. I don't know. Like sweet, cool. You know, either way you're putting money in my pocket. So, you know, but it's funny that you said uh, about politics a few weeks ago, I went to uh, a seminar about Racism in the dance world. I mean, it was put on by um, a very esteemed tap dancer, and there was a quote that she put on one of the slides. And I believe it's the quoter is a businessman. He's a Polish businessman. Um, But uh, the quote is: "Art, freedom, and creativity will change society faster than politics."
0: Wow, man, that's heavy hitting. And
1: I I wrote that down because I was like, "That's a powerful quote by a businessman, a Polish businessman." Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I like I'm like I'm like, that's, that's, that is fire right there. I needed to write that down. So I wrote that down in my journal, but yeah, it's, you know, there's such a freedom that comes with creating and from doing art and that will, you know, forever be what moves society to a better place faster than politics will. The reason why we know half of the stuff in the world is someone, someone wrote a book about it. Someone made a painting about it. Someone made a song about it, you know, I mean, and that's, and you know, that's the debate because so many people think art is is irrelevant or not important. And it's like most of the stuff you know is because someone drew a painting about it. You know, Van Gogh did a painting about that, you know, about a hard time in the world. So art is so important. You know, you may not be the most talented person to do all those things, but is it's completely important. Just as an accountant is or a politician is, it, it matters.
0: For sure. Yeah. The thing about it that what some people don't realize that are not artists is that art moves the world. Mm -hmm. It moves the world. The world cannot function without some type of art form at all. Yeah. You're right. it would barely be able to uh, function with just one art form it, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to function with just one and that's why it's so important for for there to be so many m- different forms of art so that way artists can find their niche and really concentrate their all into it and then quite honestly that's what sparked this podcast you know i've only he- i only heard of like you know several different outlets poetry dance singing i barely knew much. About burlesque. I didn't get into drag until my adult years, and then just just this past Juneteenth weekend, I came across a go-go dancer. Oh, yeah. So awesome. I know, right? So you know, it's just so it's so many different facets. Because facets is the key word hear today. <laughs> There's just so many different facets of art ma- that makes us as artists special because we can just explore and become multifaceted, right, Chardy?
1: Rubik's Cube Rubik's, Rubik's Cube Cube I'm gonna I'm gonna start merch now I'm gonna have my merch my Rubik's Cube merch
0: yep we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna get you some shirts and we're gonna we're gonna so that you have a side hustle and say that I am an artist I am a Rubik's Cube
1: yep and uh 30% of the proceeds go to Ashley Ashley <laughs> for coming up with the nickname
0: that sounds perfect <laughs> So, why don't you tell me a moment where you had to deal with a demanding or a difficult person? What made them difficult and how did you how did you interact with them positively? Hmm. You got stories. <laughs>
1: yeah, that I which which one? Which one? Um um the no names no names yeah obviously there was a show that I did um I was the stage manager for the show so I was not performing but some it was very demanding because one I was kind of newer to this this theater and so I was still you know finding my footing and getting to know everyone but the the show that we were doing was predominantly uh, a mostly female cast and it was difficult in that trying to to get to know everyone uh, because everyone else had you know known each other for years Um, but it became more problematic in that the show that we were doing had a lot of historical references and more in particular to uh to black culture and so it it became that I became the the uh all-knowing overseer of black culture
0: the go-to negro (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I'm like, um, I am not the beholder of all knowledge of Black culture. (laughs) There's many things about Black culture I am unaware of or don't have experience in. But yeah, so there were some things in the script that were regarding Black culture in the South. And it was like, well, how do you, you know, one of the actors felt very, very passionate, I would say overly passionate, (laughs) about, well, I don't believe we should say this, we should change this. And, you know, first off, you know, it's a... published play so we can't just be changing things like that (laughs) but two I mean it's part of the play it's written there you know the playwright wrote that in with intentions for something whether you understand that or not whether you get what that intention is is beyond what you think we should you know be taking this out of the show Um, but then it became like you know this whole everyone was talking about it all the actors were talking about it and you know I was doing some stage manager work in my little corner but still kind of part of the conversation but it was like Chardonnay. what do you think about that how do you feel about it and I was like I I don't feel any way about it to be honest with you (laughs) you know And then, you know, the actor who was passionate about this subject matter was like, well, how can you not be passionate about it? It involves you, someone that looks like you. And I said, I said, well, I mean, one, I'm not like a witch doctor, so I'm not, I mean, I'm a Black woman, but I'm not a witch doctor, so, uh, you know, know, so... um, and, you know, too, I, I was like, if you want to be like historically accurate, I said, you know, it's w- the way it's written is not to defame Black women in any way. I think it's more so to showcase how, you know, that um, not necessarily Black culture, but that type of religious activity was viewed at that time and how it was viewed at the time that was that the play was set in. And then it was just like, oh, well, everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know? So it was just like, well, like these little things that came popping up that were retaining to either Black culture or things in the South, all of a sudden became like I knew about it or that I was supposed to feel a certain way about it. And when that expectation was not met, was was not met, that I didn't feel charged or outraged by it, it was just like off-putting to the cast and the rest of the crew. So it was demanding in that way that I felt emotionally like, guys... Let's pull together. We're trying to do this show, and it it became so much of a problem that I I did end up having a, a conversation with the director, and she she's not a person of color, but she was like, you know what? It it never even occurred to me when I asked you how you felt about it that that's how it would have been portrayed, you know. So she was she apologized about it, and you know, I was like, dude, you know, it wasn't you didn't mean any ill will, but you know, when you do that, you automatically put pressure on me as a black person and the only black person in the class in the cast that that's emotionally draining to have to do every night when we're rehearsing five days a week so i mean i'm usually i'm i'm good with confrontation and like in the most peacefulest of ways um and so you know i i brought it to her and and she she agreed and like i said she apologized and she tried to kind of address those types of things as they came with the rest of the rehearsal process like listen not Not every we can't read we can't push everything back on Chardonnay when it comes to these different subject matters sprinkled throughout the show. Like we as actors, we gotta research it, you know? We can we can always ask for her opinion, but like we have to be better about how we are trying to communicate these things with each other. So yeah, that's how I handle it. I I just brought it up in conversation.
0: And you know you th- that's an important point to touch on when when your when your directors said, "Um we need to research it one thing that that I have found, especially during this covid nineteen and especially during the the deaths of george floyd and tony mcdade that when it when everything stirred up in the theater world there were so many of my fellow white actors that reached out to me and you know was was asking me questions and it's like okay well you know i don't mind helping you however there is a little thing called google that <laughs> yes, you can yep. get yourself acquainted with and there are you know exponential amount of articles regarding topics like this so you can start from there
1: right right (laughs) and I have no problem
0: I have no problem helping or or uh, lending a helping hand in in certain situations I have no problem with that Um, I'm a very opinionated person and over the years I've learned to keep my opinions to myself however if, if something bothers me enough I'm going to say or do something about it thus me creating this podcast but I, I am not your go-to Negro for everything black. You know what I'm saying, um, right? Right. <laughs> oh man and I mean that that's the thing that while I and I can only speak for myself I do appreciate you wanting to come to me and asking me for my opinion or for my help I don't mind that but then it, when it's little stuff like if you're bombarding me saying to me what don't what what uh organizations can we donate to well first of all you can donate to blacken you can do that
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I feel like we sometimes, and we all get this way, that we feel like we have to do the absolute extremist activity to make an impact. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, start start in your own backyard. What could you do? Uh, donate to Blacken. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to go all the way up and find and do like Black Lives Matter or you know these bigger organizations. Which, if that's what you want to do, great. But like, support a local, the Detroit rep, or you know, or Blacken or anything else. Like, mm-hmm. like start. Start, start some. Start with something small that you have easy access to and then branch out if you can. And even if it's not, you know, a monetary donation, volunteer, pass out some flyers and spread the word mm-hmm. about this theater, Shakespeare in Detroit, go pass out flyers, let people know that there's this really cool, you know, Shakespeare theater company in the heart of Detroit, like do those things. Just you mentioning other, you know, other actors. Oh, Ashley, Ashley's a great actress, blah, blah, blah. Like that's, that's doing your,
0: that's doing your service. Exactly. Exactly. Why don't you tell me what kind of moral support you get for your multifaceted career?
1: Well, my biggest supporters, my parents, obviously. My parents have always a bazillion, bazillion, a million, infinity percent (laughs) supported my endeavors. Uh, Because I said at a very young age, I said, I do not want to sit at a desk all day. I said, I need to be doing something active. And I either wanted to be a professional athlete or I wanted to be a performer. So they have beyond invested in me uh, monetarily and emotionally. Uh, Other support from other friends, um, I don't have a lot of friends from. I don't have any friends from elementary school or junior high I really talk to anymore. But a lot of my college friends I, I keep in contact with are, are super supportive uh, of my endeavors um, and understand that you know Sharda is not coming to my birthday party because she's in a show or she's doing something you know. And then my college friends, a lot of my college friends I'm still in contact with, um, and whether they're still doing theater or music or not, they're they always reach out like, hey, like you got something going on, let me know. Um, I'll be there or if even if I can't be there, I'll spread the word about it, so I'm incredibly f- fortunate and very blessed to have um, amazing parents and um uh, family and friends
0: Ahem. 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 oh you too Ahem. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, you know a- a- Ashley shows up to things every once in a while, you know she checks in every blue moon. <laughs> No, Ashley is always like, what do you have going on like what what ten projects are you working on now <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, what kind of advice do you have for aspiring Rubik's cube artists, such as yourself?
1: Uh, advice, okay. One, put in the work. You got to put in the work. Um, I, I have this this quote that I I uh, talked with my friend Yolanda about, and I was one. I was just ranting about it, and um, I was like, people want to be triple threats, but they don't want to put in the work. They want to be, you know, triple threats, but they don't want to do the work. They just want to do the acting training or you know something like that, but but you have to put in the work. It's doing all of the things that I'm fortunate enough to do. It It is, it is a lot of work. You know, I mean, like earlier today, I, I did like two or three hours worth of dance practice of random stuff. Then I, you know, went over some monologues You know, and then after this, I'll probably do some more dancing and play my piano for two hours. You know, it's it's time consuming. But if you want to do it, you have to do it. Another thing is don't let anyone tell you that you have to pick one. I reached that point at a very young age because in high school, I gave up everything. I didn't act. I didn't do it. I didn't do any acting. I didn't do any music. I didn't do any dancing. I also I gave up all sports. I did nothing for the first time in my life I went to school and I came home and I was because I was battling you know I'm in high school now I'm gonna have to pick one of these things to do and I was like but I don't want to but and everyone's like no you have to pick one you can't be you know a dancer and a singer you can't be an actor and a dancer you know and then I came to this c- conclusion one day is like why can't I why can't I do all three of those things there are people on Broadway doing all three all the time why why is that not why do why don't I have access to that i um, So yeah, I mean, if you're really passionate about it, um, if you have the talent and you're willing to put in the work, you can do all three. You You can be a music producer, a dancer, and an actor. Absolutely, you can do it. And then other advice is just keep at it. You know, you'll go through phases, you know, especially depending on where you're at, that you might have to go through seasons of kind of mostly focusing on acting or kind of mostly focusing on dancing. But even if you are weighed down with one for a season
0: still keep up with, with the other stuff on the side. Now, this is the section that is called The Queen's Request. Okay. Ooh, fancy, fancy, fancy. Okay. <laughs> so recommend to me one or two Michigan Black women artists of any genre that we should be keeping an eye out for. Whew. Ashley Lyle. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Ashley <laughs> Lyle is amazing. You
1: should definitely check her out. She's very experienced, multifaceted actress, organization uh, owner of Blacken, if you haven't heard of her. So that's theater and dance. There are so many amazing Black dancers in our area. Yeah. And there's actually... There's actually been a few studios that have popped up too. So there's there's the dance scene in Michigan is very active and alive. There's a lot of... There is... Quite a few great dancers that I've seen at a studio. At um, I've never been there personally myself, and I don't know these people personally. But I support their hard work. They opened up a studio, I believe, on Seven Mile. It's in Detroit. It's called Exhibit Studios. There's a lot of great dancers there.
0: Oh yeah, I've there
1: is Big Red Dance Company. She's based out of Detroit. I don't know if they have an actual brick and mortar building, but it's a it's a company, and she has worked all all over the country and she's kind of housed here now, but she has a dance company and they do a lot of wonderful work. And then there's a lot of other dance companies that have been around for a long time in Michigan that are doing some beautiful work. So, yeah, keep an eye out on on the dance world in general. I feel like of all the three art forms here, I feel like dance is the least talked about in the performing arts world in Michigan. Because people go to see music shows from all different all over the place in Michigan. And people, people know that theater exists, but there's a lot of really great dance companies in Michigan that are housing some beautiful black bodies and other people of color.
0: We're we're always gonna keep talking, but I really did enjoy this talk. I feel like I I, I was able to disassemble the the this Rubik's Cube of a friend of mine, <laughs> you know, and really find out, you know, the things that make this artist tick. So I uh I appreciate you sitting down with me and taking the time out to talk with me about this.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. No, it was, it was really enjoyable and I, I had a blast. This was an absolutely blast. It was a lot of fun. Well,
0: I'm, I'm so glad. I'm glad that you enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really did.
0: Like, I'm like, I'm inspired to go like do something right now. <laughs> Good. Well, what? I mean, you're probably just inspired to take up some other art form, right? <laughs> and be, be no, a be mean, Rubik's not- diamond. <laughs>
1: You know, I I I am I don't consider myself a visual artist, but I am a big supporter of visual art. I came into that actually in college. Like before, I, I, I was like, yeah, painting's cool. Like I knew about artists and stuff like that. But I really fell in love with the world of art um, in high school. Uh, so uh, I went to a public school for high school and in Dearborn. And we were one of the very few in the entire state of Michigan. We had a arts humanities program. So instead of just having English, we had English humanities. So we got to do a lot of like different works by different people, like in a lot in the theater world as well. But we also had art humanities once a week and music humanities once a week. So my world of art was completely blown Open in high school, so I'm a big supporter of visual art as well. So um I love Van Gogh is my favorite artist. So I'm a big supporter there. So do art, everyone do art, whatever way you can. You don't have to make money at it, but if it's a hobby, just
0: do it. That's good advice. I like that.
1: <laughs> but I Thanks do pa- I do paint. I do paint occasionally. So, but thank you so much of for having me. Of course you
0: do. Me. Of course you do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>